Ananda Gauranga Prabhu was telling us that this day is considered very auspicious. It's called Akshaya Tritiya. It's not just called that, it is Akshaya Tritiya. In English we might call it, you might say that Wednesday the 3rd of March 2022. But when we say Akshaya Tritiya, it's not just some kind of name which is arbitrarily imposed on it. But it has a specific meaning. It means that on this day, due to, due to the alignment of the planets or the power invested therein, whatever is started is supposed to go on Akshaya, without... It's supposed to go on, and on, and on. So as Ananda Gaurang Prabhu was saying, people buy gold, because they think, well, I get some gold, I'll go on getting gold. Or people get married, because they think, well, it, it will last forever. That's a big illusion. Now on this day, we should, what should we do? Those who are practicing Krishna consciousness. We should practice Krishna consciousness as every day we should do. Every day, every night, we should practice Krishna consciousness. May it go on eternally. It will go. Actual Krishna consciousness is eternal. Actually, there is nothing else but Krishna consciousness. And any other consciousness but Krishna consciousness is only a shadow or a covering of our original consciousness, which is pure Krishna consciousness. So Krishna consciousness is akshaya, unending, and Krishna is akshaya, and the jiva is also akshaya, and the relationship between Krishna and the jiva is also akshaya. So we should engage in activities of Krishna consciousness, knowing this to be our eternal occupation. We have nothing else to do. So we're gathered here to discuss topics of Krishna. This is a very good place to do so, because Udupi is a place which has traditionally been one of discussion of Krishna, any place where Krishna Kata is spoken becomes a sacred place. But especially those places favored by the devotees and the Lord Himself, which have been for generations centers of Krishna Kata, obviously they're very special places. So this place is favored by the Lord Himself. He personally came here to accept the service of Madhvacharya, Sri Madhvacharya, who served Him, served the Lord, Bal Gopal, by establishing His worship here, the worship 
that had previously been performed by his mother, Krishna's mother, in Dwarakadham, and Sri Madhvachari re-established that worship here, but not only by deity worship, but by speaking also. And not just speaking casually Krishna Kata. And not only speaking it among the devotees. Krishna Kata is generally spoken among devotees. Satam Prasangamavirya Sangvido Bhavanti Hritkarna Rasayana Kata is Krishna Kata is generally to be spoken among the devotees. The discussion of Krishna's greatness. And that acts as a tonic for the ears and the heart discussion of Krishna. But there are various levels of Krishna Kata. And Sri Madhvacharya worshipped Krishna, Bhagavan, his worshipable Lord, not well, he worshipped him very pleasingly with fruit, flower, various items of worship. He worshipped him by offering prayers and he worshipped him by going out among the non-devotees and establishing Hari Sarvotama. You rascals, why don't you accept? Hari is supreme. Why don't you accept? You would force them to accept. Very powerful preacher in every sense of the term. His words were powerful. Not, of course, you may, if someone shouts loudly or has a loud voice, you may say they're a powerful speaker. But it wasn't simply in the manner of his intonation that he was a powerful speaker. But his words were fully imbued with the potency of the Lord, with the, the self-realization that comes from selfless dedication, bhakti, to Hari. That his words defeated various atheistic propositions of persons who had hijacked the Vedic knowledge. We know at the beginning of creation there were two demons called Madhu and Kaitav who stole the Vedas. So the Lord incarnated to, incarnated or appeared to kill those demons. Especially in Kali Yuga, many persons are following in the footsteps of Madhu and Kaitav by taking the message of the Vedas and while purporting, they're, they're like, uh, they're like, what we call con artists. 
Conf- hear the word con is short for conf- confidence tricksters. They're cheaters. They pretend to be your friends, but they're cheating you. You may get persons like that. They they appear to be your friend, but they're actually they're, they're helping you. They're, it can happen in a spiritual organization like ISKCON also. Someone may appear to be a very good devotee, and then you find like for the last 10 years, 90% of his collection has gone into his mother's bank account. This kind of thing can happen. They make a show of being your friend, but actually they're, your, they're acting as your enemy. They have a different interest, which is opposite to yours. So, and when this happens at the national level, such people are called traitors. And they are subject to execution. It is the worst crime, treason, is the worst crime. Do you know that word treason? It means to act against the interest of your country. To act as a person who is a citizen of a country, but acts against their interest. Just like, for instance, becoming a spy for another country. Or plotting to kill the, the king. That's also called treason. They're very... So that is... Uh, punishable by death generally. It's considered at the state level that's considered the worst crime. And in India today uh, capital punishment is allowed by law generally only for treason. And for other crimes they say only in the rarest of rare circumstances. In Britain also where the Capital punishment is more or less abolished, but they're still allowed, theoretically, for treason. In other words, it's considered the worst of crimes to to pretend to be a friend, but to act as the worst enemy, actually. So Madhvacharya, he worked against the traitor, the traitors, who purported to be promoting Vedic knowledge, but were actually against the principle of Vedic knowledge. The principle of Vedic knowledge is Vedaishya Sarvera Vedyaha. Krishna is the object of knowledge. Krishna is knowledge. He is knowledge and he is the object of knowledge. All the Vedas are meant for knowing Krishna. (coughs) But persons who misrepresent that, that instead of representing that Hari is supreme, Hari Sarvotama means Hari, Krishna, is above all and that the jiva is meant to serve him. This is the this is spiritual knowledge. It's a very simple principle. But the Mayavadis or Advaitavadis, they had covered this principle by a misrepresentation of Vedic knowledge. Therefore, Madhvacharya preached very strongly against this. Now it's not just a matter of calling them 
fools and rascals. It's, that's part of it. But demonstrated, he demonstrated by his analysis of Shastra how the Mayavad, the theory that Jiva and Ishvara are equal, are the same, is actually they have no separate existence. He didn't exactly say they're the same, but they have no separate existence because there's only spirit. There's only one spirit and everything else is false. Brahma Satyam Jagan Mithya. This is the proposition. So Madhvacharya, he preached very strongly against this and broke the theories of the impersonalists. Which is why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is the mm, avatar of all avatars and the acharya of all acharyas, he accepted discipleship within the Madhva Sampradaya because of this principle, because of Madhva's stringent opposition to the soul-killing, bhakti-killing misinterpretation of Vedic knowledge that jiva, there is no distinction between jiva and ishvara. So Madhvacharya, he, he strongly made the point there is distinction. Everywhere there is distinction. There is distinction between jiva and ishvara. Jiva is not the same as God. It seems like an easy thing to understand, doesn't it? You are not God. I am not God. You are not God either. Krishna, he is Bhagavan. He is full of all potencies. We are not. It should be an easy thing to understand. If anyone has even a, a tiny modicum of something resembling common sense, it should be easy to understand that I am not God, and nor is my father God, and nor is my neighbor God, and nor is, you know, this Baba and this Bapa and that Amar and this, you know, Bapu and all that. They're not God either. It should be easy to understand. They are Martyajan. They are subject to death. But due to extreme foolishness compounded by extreme rascaldom. That means people are not just stupid but willingly stupid. Therefore they accept, they, they like to accept something which is quite plainly not true because it appeals to, it appears to their perverted sense of intellectualism or, or actually to their, 
to their sense of their envy of Krishna, by which we are all in this material world, it appeals to them the idea that there is no distinction between Jiva and Bhagavan. This absolutely wrong idea is very popular up to the present day because it, it, it has no basis in anything resembling intelligent judgment. But it appeals to people because they want to be an illusion. People like to think Ishwaraham Maham Bhogi this is the demoniac way of thinking described by Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. I am God, I am the enjoyer. Although with a slight, if anyone has a slight under, slight analysis of the actual situation, it's quite clear that we are not the enjoyers and we are not the controllers, but nevertheless it appeals to our perverted intelligence to think I am God of course uh, if, if someone's a little bit awakened he can see well uh, I'm not God but then the, the Mayavadis the Mayavadis means they, they consider themselves Jnanis they have knowledge of Shastra and knowledge of our existential position to some extent. So they can see, well, obviously we're not God in this present situation that we're in. We're subject to repeated birth and death. But the reason I don't experience myself as God is because I'm in illusion. That is the illusion. The illusion is to think that I am the, I am the enjoyer and the controller, but they think that illusion means to not understand that actually I am the controller and the enjoyer. So they kind of got half the thing right that this material world is miserable. But then they, uh, they ascribed the wrong cause to it and misinterpreted the Vedic literature to try to show that there is no difference between Jiva and Ishvara, misinterpreting Vedic texts, Advitiya means there is no second of whom there is no second. So this means, as Madhvacharya has given, Hari Sarvotama. He is incomparable. There is no one of the same status. But they take it to, the Mayavadis take it to mean that there is only one entity and nothing else. That there, there's, there's, no, there's no second entity of any kind whatsoever. It's just like if you say, such and such a person is incomparable. That means there are other persons but there, he is so much 
this one person in one particular facet is so much better that others cannot compare to him. Just someone like me, they may be a very good singer. So you can say, well, he's incomparable. That means that, it doesn't mean that no one else can sing, or that they might, they don't have any qualities of singing whatsoever. But his singing is so much better, that we'll say he's incomparable. So if we say that the Supreme is Advitiya, it doesn't mean there's no one else that exists. But it means that there he is incomparable. And that's and comparison can be made. When we say incomparable, it means that comparison can be made, but the the comparison is uh, the, the difference is so vast that it's said to be Advitiya. There no, there's no one in the same class as him. So that is the position with Hari. The difference between Hari and the Jiva is such that there is a vast difference. <coughs> but the Mayavadis like to say, well, there is no difference whatsoever. They got it completely wrong. The difference is there, it's huge. But they say there's no difference whatsoever. Thus, they are actually envious of Krishna. They don't want to recognize the fact of Hari's superiority. This material world is created for the envious jivas who like to live in a situation in which they can pretend that there is no Hari. There is no one superior to them. So Mayavad can flourish in this atmosphere because they, they can simply postulate the nature of the Supreme and ascribe supremacy to themselves. In the spiritual world, there's no question of Mayavad. Because everyone accepts the supremacy of Lord Hari. But in this material world, the Mayavadis, while posing as spiritualists, have just made another pseudo-spiritual addition of the same diseased mentality that the gross sense enjoyers subscribe to. So Madhvacharya fought this. He was worshipping Krishna very nicely, offering prayers to Bal Gopal. But at the same time he fought against the envious distortions of the Mayavadi. The Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accepted this. He appreciated this. And therefore, he uh, accepted discipleship within the line coming from Madhvacharya, appreciating how Madhvacharya, 
Madhvacharya, he stressed the distinction, especially between Jiva and Ishra, and, and differences everywhere between Jiva and Jiva. I am not you, you are not me. This has come down to the present time in the words of the Beatles. I am you and you are me and we are all together. In a famous stupid song of theirs. Now we're not quoting from Shastra, we're quoting from I am the walrus. Or something like that, some song they sung. So this idea has come, where it, it, it appeals to persons of contaminated intelligence. But I am not you. According to Mayavad, a hungry Mayavad, he comes and says, I'm very hungry. And the person says, okay, just wait there. I'm going to get some food. So he comes back after 20 minutes. And then the Mayavadi asks, well, where's the food? And he said, well, I went to get it. So where is it? Well, I ate it. What do you mean you ate it? Well, I am you and you are me, so I ate it. So, Yasmin Tushte Jagat Tushta. I'm God, you're God, so I'm the eating God and you're the starving God. <laughs> it's not a, not a very practical philosophy. Difference between Jiva and Jiva, Jiva and Jada, between the Jiva and the mundane matter between Ishvara and Jada, between one mundane thing and something else. So in this way, Madhvacharya pointed out the differences. And he didn't, he didn't just point it out as, as a kind of philosophical discussion. People were very serious in those days about philosophy. And not, not dogmatically, there would be discussion. So this place... Udupi is, has been a center <coughs> over many generations of establishing what is known as Madhva Siddhanta or Dvaita Siddhanta. Establishing the, the philosophy of difference, of two-ness, not oneness. Not far from here is the local center of what they call Advaita Siddhanta. That is at the place of Rishya Sringa. That uh, the Sringeri Mart is there, established by Sripad Shankaracharya. So traditionally there has been Rivalry that the the Madhvas the Madhva Swamis and the Sringeri Swamis and still there are discussions but nowadays it's there's not much seriousness attached to it. I mean among themselves they attach seriousness to it, but it's more of an intellectual exercise. So this 
establishing what is the fact. This is the duty of all preachers of Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness is not a sectarian religion or a someone's belief. Often people, especially in the West, they ask us, what do you believe? It's just like, you know, what do you believe? It's, you can see you're suddenly religious, you've got that funny thing on your nose, and dressed in those funny clothes, so it looks like you believe in something. What do you believe? So the, the idea has become uh, prominent in human society that, well, religion is just something you believe in. You see, everyone has a right to believe in something. So you can, what do you believe in? You can believe anything. You can, most people, in the name of religion in the Western world, most people believe that all human suffering was caused because our great, 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 something or other grandfather ate an apple. That's what they believe. It's a damn stupid philosophy, but they believe it and they think it's spiritual. They think it's sacred. And if you say this, it's damn stupid, they'll get very angry, even though it is stupid. It doesn't make any sense that God would punish the whole human race for all eternity because someone ate an apple. But they believe it. And you're not supposed to say anything against it if you're polite because they believe it. And it's sacred. This is not scientific. Srila Prabhupada would always say when people asked him, what do you believe? He would say, it is not a question of belief, it is a science. In other words, it is a fact. What is the use of believing something if it's not true? And then again, the Mayavad idea comes in, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe, because if you believe it, it's true for you. That's another nonsense. If I say 2 plus 2 equals 3, I believe it. I come from the 2 plus 2 equals 3 religion. So you can't say anything against it. It's sacred. You'll say, well, that's stupid. It is stupid. But then why is it not stupid, the idea that every, everything is all one? That's stupid. I'm hungry, you eat, I remain hungry. So it is, it's an impractical, unscientific proposal. The idea that the all-merciful God punishes the whole of human society because someone a long time ago had an apple is not scientific. The idea that God was killed and came back to life again three days later, that's also not scientific. It means there's no proper understanding of the nature of God. It's not possible to kill Him. Nor does He suffer in any way. It's actually practically atheistic to say that people could kill Him. So this is all unscientific and therefore, therefore religion has come to be understood as a kind of belief. Something that's unverifiable at any level. And you just believe it and it makes you feel good. And you feel good because, you know, I'm the saved one and everyone else is going to hell. It's a kind of very puerile outlook on life. Puerile means childish. 
But Srila Prabhupada presented, it's not a, what's the use of believing? We should find out what is, belief is too fragile. How many belief systems are there in the world? If there's no way of verifying it, then it's like playing roulette with a very poor chance of winning. If there's, let's say that there's at least 2,000 belief systems or combinations and permutations and mutations of the, the, the main belief systems, which we can say are Christianity, Islam, Hinduism and Buddhism. So if we say there's about 2,000 principal combina- or permutations or mutations of these, then if, if you get the wrong, you know, if it's just belief and you just have to believe something, then you've got a pretty poor chance of getting the right thing. And uh, many of these belief systems say, if you don't believe what we believe, then you go to hell forever. So it's pretty rough. You know, if you get it wrong, there's no way to ascertain what's actually correct. They just say, well, you have to believe it because it's in the Bible, or you have to believe it because it's in the Quran, or you have to believe it, otherwise we'll cut your head off. So there's no uh, intelligent way to verify or to try to understand what is actually correct or not. And therefore, many people uh, out of intelligence, they actually reject all religion. Because if you see what goes on in the world in the name of religion, it's so unintelligent that someone who's more intelligent would naturally reject it. But someone who's more intelligent still would see that, well, wait a minute, there should be some God in control. Everything's not going on by chance. So it's, it's actually unintelligent not to believe in God, but to believe in the belief systems that are supposed to, or purported to represent God, that's not very intelligent. So Srila Prabhupada presented Krishna consciousness as a science, not just a belief system. But there is a systematic approach that intelligent persons should take to arrive at the process of understanding the Absolute Truth. God, that's generally taken as a... God is generally taken, that's a kind of sentimental belief, to believe in God. But the Bhagavat Siddhanta, or the conclusion of Srimad Bhagavatam, that aims at the absolute truth. As Srila Prabhupada opens his writing on the Srimad Bhagavatam, in the introduction, the concept of God and the concept of the absolute truth are not on the same level. The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the absolute truth. The Bhagavatam doesn't speak about God as God is generally misunderstood by people without scientific knowledge of the knowledge of God. When people when people say to us, well, I don't believe in God, we can say to them that, well, I also don't believe in the God that you disbelieve in. 
Because the God you disbelieve in, well, why should you believe in that God? Because the idea of some old man sitting on a cloud, throwing down thunderbolts, we also don't believe in that. Why should you believe? It's only a matter of belief. So belief or disbelief, it doesn't make any difference. But the Bhagavatam, it's not a scripture in the term that, in the way that people generally under, people, people think of Hindu scriptures or Buddhist scriptures or Christian scriptures. They think it's, it's some kind of, some kind of book which substantiates a belief system. But the Vedic knowledge presents Bhagavat Tattva Vijnanam Mukta Sangasya Jayate. It presents scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead by which one is liberated from all misgivings and misunderstandings. Vidyate Hridhyagrantis Chidyante Sarva Sangshayaha. Srila Prabhupada translates this. Uh, Thus the knot on the heart is cut and one is free from all misgivings. Sangshayaha means doubt. So Srila Prabhupada, generally that's translated as doubt. In this context, Srila Prabhupada translates it as misgiving. So misgiving is uh, it's a synonym for doubt, but it it, it also uh, it has the nuance of distrust. It's not just doubt, but there's distrust. But by understanding the knowledge of Bhagavatam, one can have faith. Faith here doesn't mean blind faith. But scientific faith. Now people will say, "Well, that's uh, like that's like an oxymoron or a contradictory. It's, it's putting an an, imp- an impossible adjective with a noun. Something like saying a, a nice mass murderer. Something like that, or a, a merciful butcher." Or Prabhupada, when he was asked, what if an atheist is sincere? He pointed out, well, that's like saying an honest thief. There's no such thing as an honest thief. There's no such thing as a sincere atheist. So, uh, what was I saying? Bhagavad Tattva Vijnanam. Yeah, this uh, scientific faith, people think that, the, well, wait a minute, science deals with fact. But actually it deals, everything is, based, everything is based on faith. In science also there has to be faith. As uh, one Nobel laureate said that a, uh, a conference organized by Bhakti Sri Damada Maharaj in Calcutta some years ago, he said that science also deals with faith, just like we base our act- we base our scientific statements and activities on faith that the law 
which we perceive today will also work tomorrow. There's no guarantee, there's no proof. So faith is also there in science. You can't do anything without any faith. You can't, you can't even breathe if you don't have faith. You, may, you never know, someone might have injected some deadly poison in the invisible poison in the air. You don't know. Better stop breathing. Test the air before you breathe it. How will you test it? You have to have faith that the scientific procedures work. You can't do anything without faith. In litmus paper you put to see whether it's acid or alkali. You have faith that this is a bona fide procedure. You have faith that this is actual litmus paper. If faith is required, you may say, well, that's stupid. I mean, that's just some kind of... Those things are too obvious. But the fact is you have to have faith. So scientific faith, not blind faith, not that just, well, you, you have to believe it because it's in the Bible, or you have to believe it because it's in the Bhagavatam. But we don't find that Krishna spoke to Arjuna like this, or that the Vedic sages speak like this. They don't say, well, you just believe me because I said it. Then why, why discuss at all? Discussion takes place on the platform of intelligence. Supposed to. So, uh, Krishna, we find in Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna has so many doubts, which he, he presents even again and again. And Krishna answers him by presenting facts about the universe in a manner that Arjuna can understand. All the things that Krishna spoke about to Arjuna, there, there was not any, the word, the terms he was using, karma, guna, kala, sannyasa, tiaga, these were all concepts that were, they weren't new to Arjuna. He, he, knew, he knew these words before. But Krishna defined them and for Arjuna in a manner that Arjuna hadn't understood previously. And Krishna gave the uh, understanding of how all these relate to each other and understanding that, what is the actual purpose of life? In other words, Krishna, he gave to Arjuna a scientific understanding, just like you may, we may see trees and a field and cows and a river, and you just see it. If, you make, if someone makes scientific research, they can understand how all the ecosystem, everything is interacting with each other. So, they come to a scientific understanding of how, for instance, the, uh, the chlorophyll, how, or how the grass is eaten by the cow and produces milk. 
We come to a scientific understanding of that. Or how the influence of the sunlight affects the chlorophyll and like this. So, what we see by scientific analysis we can understand better. So in the same way, Krishna spoke about the universe and everything within it, including ourselves, and the person, namely himself, who is beyond it, although he appears within the universe, and what is his position and our relationship to him. In other words, science means putting everything in its proper understanding everything in its actual position, so that we can improve our lives. That's the purpose of science. So, Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavatam, all the Vedic literature, tells us about all the different factors within the universe, underlying the universe and beyond the universe, the ultimate factor being the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then how, how we are to act within this situation and how we are to understand everything within this situation so that we can uh, understand and attain the ultimate purpose of life. Therefore it's scientific. It's not just simply some blind belief system. You follow, you follow, otherwise you go to hell. But no, it's explained that, well, how do you go to hell? It's, you can go to hell, but it's, there's, even that's more scientifically explained, that Jaganya guna vritti sto adhoga chanti tamasaha Persons who are of hellish consciousness, then naturally they gravitate toward hell. It's not just a matter of saying, well, I believe this, I don't believe this, okay, you got the, you got the wrong belief, <laughs> chuck you into hell. But it's a matter of your consciousness. If one is of hellish consciousness, he'll actually be attracted to go to hell. We see the jiva who is in the body of a pig, that jiva is by nature Satchidanandamai as much as the residents of Vaikuntha are Satchidanandamai, but the, in the body of a pig, his consciousness has become so much contaminated that he actually enjoys eating stool. Or the crow enjoys eating mucus and garbage. They like that. They're attracted to that. So Lord Krishna describes it. It's all based upon conscious. The consciousness that we cultivate carries us to our next existence. It's something we can, it's scientific to understand. What is that in the 13th chapter? Vaya gandham neva shayat. What is that verse? Ukramantan stambhapi bunjana vagodam vitam Kuhit vaitani sangayati vaya gandham neva shayat. Is it that verse? So, how the living being, according to the modes of nature that he acquires, takes different births, 
That we come to Krishna consciousness, purified consciousness, by which we will be situated in such a position that we won't get entangled with the very with the unending permutations and combinations of the modes of material nature. So this is a scientific understanding. Back to Madhvacharya, the followers of Shankaracharya, they would all they discussed the same thing. Bhagavad Gita, Upanishad philosophy. What are the gunas? They also use the term Ishvara. Ishvara, Jiva, Guna, Chitana, all these terms they also use. But their understanding is incorrect, perverted. Although ostensibly they're cultivating sattvagun, their philosophy is actually tamasic. It increases ignorance. It is ignorance because it covers the fact, the scientific fact of the jiva's eternal subordination to Hari, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So Madhvacharya preached this very powerfully here, not only here, throughout Bharat, this land of Bharat. Of course, simply by preaching this, this in itself it doesn't constitute all of bhakti. Bhakti means the heart's outpouring to Krishna and practical activities in his service. So Madhvacharya, he established that and he, he wrote uh, praise of the Lord and his subsequent Acharyas, they wrote so many praises of the Lord. But it's a necessary service to Lord Hari to preach against the philosophies that displease him. On one side, there's directly pleasing him. Patram Pushpam Palanto Yam Yome Bhaktya Prayachati Tadaham Bhaktu Pahritamashnami Prayatapmana. If one offers Krishna leaf, flower, fruit, or water with bhakti, he accepts it, he's pleased. But if at the same time you're offering these things to Krishna and someone standing at the back blaspheming Krishna, a true devotee will turn around and punch him in the face, that rascal. If not literally, then he should silence him. By, but he should stop it, that's the point. Offering Krishna with love, flower, leaf, fruit and water, that is pleasing to Krishna. But there's also those who are displeasing Krishna by blaspheming him and by ignoring him and 
by spoiling their existence, which makes Krishna unhappy. He's so unhappy at the at the jivas spoiling their existence that he personally comes to try to save them. So it's not all of bhakti only to offer flowers and fruits and leaves and water and sing songs of the beauty of Krishna. That is part of bhakti. But the great acharyas have shown us that intolerance of others' lack of Krishna consciousness or anti-Krishna consciousness and attempting to uh, change their way of thinking. Jiva viparit ruchi parivartan kara in the words of Bhaktisiddhanta. Saraswati, the, the opposite or the, the wrong to change, the, the wrong tendency of the conditioned souls, that is preaching, that is required, that is a service to Krishna. So Madhvacharya as a great devotee, he praised Krishna, he sung to Krishna, he worshipped Krishna, and he went out into the world and broke all the wrong philosophies that are envious of Krishna. Therefore, he is a great Acharya. We are, by the mercy of Srila Prabhupada, in that line coming from Madhvacharya. So, as Lord Krishna has taught in Bhagavad Gita, Acharya Pasana. All the Vaishnava Acharyas have taught that the uh, the essence or, or the means of service to Krishna is by worshipping the Acharya. So that also, it doesn't mean just by worshipping their forms, which is also one form of worshipping them, but by spreading their teachings. And that also not in a formal way, but in a dynamic way, meeting the present challenges. I was just I was saying the, the Madhva, the Madhva line swamis, they still or not you know, the or the pundits, they they may have some formal debate with pundits of the Shringeri school or the Kanchi school of Mayavadi. But it's it goes on more as an intellectual formality. But the modern day Mayavadis, they are, as a of course it's a long history, how the, or the, the present manifestations of Mayavad are what is generally called Hinduism. It's more or less uh, derived from a, a perverted, I mean Shankaracharya's philosophy itself is perverted and then even more perverted. Even as Srila Prabhupada noted, even Shankaracharya would be shocked at how, I mean he at least preached some moral codes, but he, he would be shocked at how people had misused, his philosophy is anyway a misuse of the Vedas, but how people had misused what he taught to justify all kinds of uh, highly sinful activities. Of course, Shankaracharya had a purpose in presenting this 
It was a mixed purpose. He also established or re-established the path of Vedic Dharma, albeit in a in a perverted way. But uh, in the name of Mayavad, or in the name of Shankara philosophy, how uh, people have made all bogus incarnations of God and eating all kinds of flesh foods and so many totally bogus things. So this is the uh, business, to use the term business as Srila Prabhupada used it. This is the activity or the duty of the followers of Madhva, Madhva Acharya and the uh, Srila Prabhupada in the, in the modern age, not only to build temples, Iskon is appreciated in India, even by Mayavadis. They appreciate in some way for, for building temples. But that isn't the, uh, that isn't the be-all and end-all of Iskon's activities. The followers of the Acharyas they also have to protest, as the Acharyas have done, against all the bogus things which are distorting the true Vedic Dharma, all the bogus ideas in the world, all the various philosophies in the world, even if they're not called philosophies, all the various ideas in the world are simply manifold expressions of envy for Krishna and declarations of the jiva's uh, determination to avoid Krishna. What's the translation of that verse, Gopala Acharya? Didn't know that one yet? Who can give the translation of this verse? Anyone? All right, say it. People who are intent to remain materialistic uh, consciousness, trying to awaken their Krishna consciousness, and by um, the endeavors, by getting the help of others, nor by their own endeavors, nor by mixture of love. All right, I'll take it over. Matiyana Krishna is that they've taken a vow. Vaishnav Sanyasi gives the blessing. Krishna Matirastu. May your inclination be toward Krishna. But certain persons, they've taken a vow. Matiyana Krishna. I will not be inclined to Krishna. Either willfully or even without knowing it, the, their determination is not to be Krishna, Krishna conscious. Even though they make uh, a show of being searching for the truth, they're actually determined to avoid Krishna. And therefore, they become attracted to demoniac philosophies as described in Bhagavad Gita Moghasha Mogha Karma no Mogha Jnana Vijayatasa Rajasim Asarim Chaiva then last line Mohining Shri Jamashita 
They become attracted to persons, even though they are apparently philosophical or they are apparently doing good for others. They their intelligence is bewildered, so they become attracted to demoniac and atheistic views. So, in the name of helping others, they do. They they think, well, we'll help the society by opening abortion clinics, for instance. You heard that, doctors. Abortion is sinful. Don't believe what the uh, what they tell you. In India today, they think abortion is very good. According to Shastra, it is bruhatya. is extremely sinful. So, uh, and, and then even they're supposedly searching for the truth, but their intelligence is bewildered because of their atheistic outlook. And therefore they become attracted, even in the name of spiritual understanding, they become attracted to atheistic views. And thus their so-called searching for the truth, it's all useless. So they'll never become, because they've made the vow not to be Krishna conscious, either by their own endeavor or even if someone comes and tells them, hey look, this is it, chant Hare Krishna, be happy. No, 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 no. Aham Brahmasmi, Brahmasmi Aham. That's it. Advitiya. Then, uh, yeah, they've accepted that which is false. They're determined to enjoy life within this material world with uncontrolled senses. They enter into the darkest region of existence and repeat. Oh, wait a minute, where are we going here? We're going. Uh, uh -huh, yeah. And they repeatedly chew the chewed. So it is the duty of the servants of the Acharyas to serve the Acharyas, to worship the Acharyas by presenting the philosophy of the Acharyas. In other words, the absolute truth, the actual reality. It's not just a philosophy, it's not just an idea. In a manner suitable to the present time and place, and actually glorify Krishna by uh, having more and more people join the kirtan of Krishna, by convincing them of the reality of the teachings of the Vedas, of the reality of the actual teachings of the Vedas, of Hari Sarvotama, that Krishna is supreme. So that requires, one has to take training. Just like you can't be a doctor without training. It requires a lot of training. You have to do everything, you have to know everything very exactly. If you don't get it right, you get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, well, you can kill people instead of curing them. So similarly, we have to understand the teachings of Krishna consciousness very clearly. If we don't get it right, we get it wrong. If we get it wrong, then we don't go to Krishna. We, we mess it up. So it's required to understand this very... It's not simply sentimental. It may be for stressed out students or stressed out professionals in modern India... Krishna consciousness is kind of something relaxing or something that cures the stress, you know, and come and chant Hare Krishna and 
relax and you don't have to think too much about it and you know just it's nice so it's good it's relaxing and you get some energy and you can go back to your mudha job working like an ass but Krishna Karsha is not meant for stress relief one has to imply oneself tivrena bhakti yoga one has to apply oneself intensely to understand this it's not a hobby it's not a joke it's not some sentimentalism this philosophy of Krishna consciousness is to be understood very clearly, very properly, and very deeply, very precisely, so that we can apply it in our lives and convince others of it also. Therefore, Srila Prabhupada, following in the footsteps of the great Acharyas, he worshipped Krishna, establishing beautiful temples, and he also spoke about Krishna continually and wrote many books on the science of Krishna consciousness. So please try to understand this with your intelligence. If you have any intelligence left after going through the modern educational system, then apply it, or rather you can actually become intelligent despite being so-called educated. You can still actually become intelligent by studying Srila Prabhupada's books. So please do that. Try to understand this philosophy. There's hope yet. Never mind, even though you're at a great disadvantage of having had so many years of being drilled with all kinds of nonsense in the name of education, but you can still get real education by reading Srila Prabhupada's books. So... No need for hopelessness. Hare Krishna. Is there any question about this? Yeah, please ask it. I remember somewhere so it's stated that Shichitani Mahaprabhu um, said that he part of Mahaprabhu due to the presence of Mahaprabhu Puri in it. Yeah, yeah. Madhavendra Puri in the Madhva Sampradaya, he was the first, he is the root, or the Ankur, not the root, it's this, what's that called, the bud, of the, uh, of the tree of Prem. He is Prem Kalpa Taru. He is, a, he is a desire tree of the spiritual world. So that's also true. But it's also true that um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accepted from the Madhva Sampradaya the complete refutation of Mayavad and the establishment of the, uh, the supremacy of Hari. So that's also true. Anything else? Yes, please. You can't apply everything? What can't you apply? All 
If we don't chant Hari's name all the time, then there's no use of living. Something like that. Kulasheka Alva says. So what do you think you should do? Cut your throat because you're not chanting Krishna's name all the time? That's not the, that's not the purpose. The idea is herein to praise the name of Krishna, the chanting of the name of Krishna, and to... Uh, it's, it's his expression of a pure soul, of his uh, attachment to the holy name of the Lord. And it also shows us where we should be headed to. If we're not fully Krishna conscious right now, it doesn't mean that, well, we should just stop or become hopeless. If someone's studying to be a doctor, it's understood that if they, if they stick to the course and they should become a doctor in due course of time if they're actually qualified to be in that course if they didn't just get in it because they, they happen to be born in a scheduled caste or something even they can become doctors but they're not actually to be a doctor it's not by birth just like to be a Brahmin is not just by birth so uh, in the same way if one stick, just like you may see there's a neurosurgeon and you may think well you know I'm not on that level now so I might as well give up but if you stick to the process you can also become a neurosurgeon maybe not maybe you won't come to that level maybe you'll just be a GP or something but you'll be some kind of doctor so in the same way we may not come up to we may not come to the full level of Kula Sheka who's a very special devotee but if we can become the dust of his lotus feet, well, that's a very great achievement. So at least we can aspire for that. There's no need for hopelessness. Anything else? Well, if there's nothing else to be said now, then we shall chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Which we always say. But at the same time, we should understand that don't, because chant Hare Krishna and be happy is the essence of all advice, we shouldn't take it as something very very cheap. It's simple in one sense, but at the same time, it's uh, sublime, which means very elevated. So we have to apply ourselves to that also. It, when we say be happy, it, it doesn't mean be happy like the foolish materialists are happy in sense gratification. It means a, a complete purification of consciousness. Hare Krishna.